Hello, product innovators. Today, we learn from a local self-started manufacturer of over 150 products on how to start your own local manufacturing facility for your invention idea. You're listening to the Product Startup Podcast, the show that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product developers, manufacturers, and hardware industry professionals. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to getting your product on store shelves. We're taking you step-by-step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Hosted by Kevin Mako, one of North America's leading experts experts on hardware development for small product businesses. Now, onto the show. Welcome back everyone. Today I'm very excited to introduce Don Skeggs to the show. Don founded the manufacturer US Biotechs Corporation, which he started in a farm back in 1991 and grew to over 150 products in production over 22 years before being bought out. Don has also been the president of the Inventors Network Kentucky for nearly 20 years now. Today, Don is going to share some valuable knowledge on how inventor startups and small manufacturers can start their own manufacturing facility locally for their invention idea, then how to grow and scale that operation, and what benefits there are for taking this production path. Now, on to the episode. Hey, Don, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Well, we're excited to have you on today to talk about setting up your own manufacturing operation locally. And that's something that we haven't gone too deep on on the show, but it's something that you did. You actually were the one who built a factory, scaled it up, and then eventually exited. So we want to go through that story. Give us a background. How did you get from the early days to owning an operation like that? Now you're the president of an incredible inventors community. Well, well, thank you, Kevin. My backstory is we basically bootstrapped a company out of a farmhouse in, of all places, eastern Kentucky, which is a rural, kind of a mountainous rural area in, in Kentucky. And a place that you're not supposed to start a high tech startup. And we ended up making products, especially products for the pathology laboratory industry. One of our claims, one of our flagship products was a product that would irreversibly change formaldehyde to 100% non-toxic material in less than 15 minutes. That's kind of a mouthful, but that was our elevator pitch. And while it's probably boring science to some people, it resonated with our customers. And our customers were hospital laboratories. And in the early 90s, they had a real problem with formaldehyde. They were having to dispose of it. It was very costly. They couldn't just pour it down the drain. And we had a product that would actually take care of that problem, take care of a very painful problem for them. So we started out of the farmhouse and didn't have a lot of resources to start with, but we grew it. We Number one, we picked a really scalable product. It was a liquid product. We could make a liter of it. We could make 100,000 gallons of it. And we ended up doing both. But we didn't start with 100,000 gallons. We started with small bottles. So we would make some samples. I would load them into a 1991 Mercury Tracer wagon and just drive around from hospital to hospital, seeing if customers would buy it, learning about my customers and learning, seeing what lit their faces up and saying, wow, I really like this. And what just kind of made them get that bored look on their face and just kind of walk away in their minds. We found out what worked 
that way by bootstrapping. We didn't stay in the farmhouse long, though. We grew out of it, grew into a factory, had employees, grew at 23 years, and then sold it. 2014, sold the company to another company out in Texas. It was just an amazing ride to learn and to grow and to become from that. Who are these people? Who is this guy? We started out with just this idea, and then we turned it into a product, and then we grew that product. And it probably had 150 different products where it was over. What a story. And you know what's so unique about this is, and I want to dive into it a bit when you actually started the production facility. Most people, when they've got that invention idea, they outsource the production. Let's assume the design, the engineering, the prototyping, you've tested, you love this thing, you know, whether it's a chemical product like yours was, or I know you got into a bunch of hardware, physical hardware products in the end as well. But that seems to be the de facto logic of production. Okay, we're going to outsource this thing to somewhere, whether it's locally or overseas and get it mm-hmm. produced. But you made the decision early, and I'm sure you had options at the point, you're oh, going to sure. actually mix this substance and produce this in-house, literally in a farmhouse. Right. That was where you were going to start, start small and then scale your way up. So what were some of the decision factors there that led you to decide to do it yourself and build an operation yourself as opposed to outsourcing it to another producer? Well, one of the things that kind of just drove us was just the fact that we were starting so small. We had to make do with what we had. We'd take the resources we had at the time. We had a lot of intelligence resources. We knew how to make this stuff. We understood the chemistry. We understood, you know, all these other factors that were involved in, in making it. But we knew if we were to outsource to a big company, we could probably do it cheaper ourselves. Now, this is, of course, not true with every product. It was true with ours. And since then, I mean, since the business, of course, I work with a organization called the Inventors Network. Kentucky and working with a lot of inventors now and entrepreneurs, I've seen this same principle taken to different levels with hardware products. Um, and sometimes they can outsource small runs, and which I love. I love the idea of starting small, doing a small run, testing it, seeing what works, changing what needs to be changed, and then kind of moving on and making those changes. When you're making your mistakes, you're usually going to make those mistakes early. And it's funny, starting bootstrapping out like we did, we had really were forced to make these early mistakes. That's part of why I tell teach a lot of inventors and entrepreneurs now to do that. Take, you know, make those mistakes small. Well, this is great because I love talking about short run production or test marketing with real products in the actual market, but at a small scale. And that's really what you did. And that was kind of the essence of it back in the day. And the second thing that you mentioned here is hardware parts and how there's different levels of manufacturing that you could actually do with a hardware startup. Everyone thinks of manufacturing, especially if you're talking plastics or electronics or whatnot, you're imagining this massive factory to produce them. But manufacturing doesn't necessarily mean that you're making every part to every piece of that actual puzzle. A lot of the time, especially with a hardware startup, it may just mean final assembly, packaging, quality control, warehousing, logistics. There's a number of elements that are actually accessible to a startup could potentially even be done. And we've seen it with dozens of our clients where they're doing some sort of fabrication in their garage or their basement, right? Mm -hmm. Getting those final touches on a product or putting certain things together or just making sure that the product is right before they're sending it to their first few hundred customers. Again, starting small and working your way up. So it's important as physical product startups to understand that there's many ways to produce a product, many different advantages of managing it yourself and managing the 
process yourself. And of course, Don, one of the big ones that you mentioned is you found straight up cost savings by doing this this way. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. A lot of people that go into production, they they don't realize they don't have to make every single component from scratch. You know, you can get things that are already made and combine them with other things. And now you've got your product. You can get different components from different resources and big companies. And I've even seen this with the kind of the R&D side of it too. We did this a lot ourselves. And then I sort of replicated this when I started working with some other entrepreneurs and startups. And that is, you can talk to a lot of these companies that produce these components. And for us, it was, you know, usually chemical components. And if it's a large company, they usually have big research departments and uh, researchers that are usually bored and sitting in their basements of this big research complex. And if you get hold of the right person, you get to talking to them. And sometimes they will just spend all kinds of time and energy just giving you vital information. They're pushing their component, they're pushing their product, and that's all good. But it's helping you because now you're finding, oh, look, there's all these applications. I'm thinking of one inventor that we worked with not too long ago, and he was looking for a way to absorb impact. If you're pushing something and it's absorbing a certain amount of impact. And I wound up talking to all of these different cushion manufacturers. And it's funny, you get hold of of, you know, it was several phone calls, several conversations, but you finally kind of drill down to that right person. And I remember having a half hour conversation with the chief technical officer for this uh, very large company that made cushion type products. And uh, he was talking to me about everything about ballistics and impact rates and just all of this vital information. And all that was free just because I invested the time of, of talking to these people and getting this intel. And here's the other funny thing about that. You get to talk to these people and a lot of times they'll send you samples. This one particular startup, we wound up with a whole room full of different cushions from all of these different places all over. And, and we got to test all those. We found the right material from that. And we did the same thing with the chemical industry. And we would find the right product that worked in the right way. Took a lot of swings, uh, swings and misses, but staying with it was the key. You mentioned something very important, especially in the product development life cycle. I think of the products, the hundreds of products that we develop at Maco Design, very rarely is something absolutely completely custom, especially if it's a multi-part assembly. Very rarely is it completely custom every single part. In fact, we actively are looking for what's called original equipment manufactured parts. Mm -hmm. Those are parts which are made at facilities that eagerly want new products to be developed with their said parts, which is something that you were alluding to when you're dealing with all these different cushion manufacturers. Their job is to make these parts so that design houses and new products come out with their parts in them, especially if you get into electronics. It's all yes. about electronics parts libraries, but think about it for just non-electronic hardware products as well. Very rarely do you want to design something that's completely custom because usually you're focusing on one or two major value adds. That's that's the innovation, the invention that you've come up with. There's absolutely no reason to take all of these pre-existing technologies that can help your innovation work and try and reinvent the wheel. Absolutely. It, for a number of reasons. Not only is it going to be cheaper, you can get samples from it to include with the product. It's much easier to develop. There's going to be less issues. It's far better manufactured because they're a focused facility on that specific part. All kinds of reasons 
reasons why you'd want to use an OEM part in your product, but yes. that has to be well thought out in the product development lifecycle. And that's actually not the norm for product development. If you look at traditional industrial design, it's generally for big corporate and it's making almost this beautiful new thing almost entirely from scratch. But as a hardware mm -hmm. startup, it's very expensive to look at all of your different parts as their own unique innovations within that product. Instead, again, focus on the few differentiators, how you're going to combine these things together, rely on really great original equipment manufactured parts to actually put the thing together. And if you design it this way, exactly what Don's talking about, it's going to make it much easier for you to get into that production. And this actually is whether you're manufacturing overseas locally or whether you're building a factory yourself, the same logic applies in design by focusing on only the need to have of differentiators. Absolutely. There's so many shoulders you can stand on in every industry. And you know, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. Like you were saying, it could be electronics, it could be chemical, it could be any type of manufacturing. There are components out there with the right focus in the right direction. You can really take yourself a lot further than if you're trying to reinvent the wheel on every single component. Absolutely. Don, I want to talk about scaling your manufacturing operation. So you've got the product working. You're starting to sell more units. You moved out of the barn. What were some of the advantages or any tips that you see along the way that you're really glad you did it yourself as opposed to outsourcing? How did some of those benefits unfold as you started to grow a bigger business with more products and product lines? Like you said, you ended up with almost 150 different products by the end of your over 20-year production run. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. We sort of took that bootstrapping mindset and we stayed with it. When we grew into a larger facility, you know, we didn't have to particularly have something that was custom made just for us, unless we were custom making it ourselves. And still, even when we we're doing that, we were custom making them out of a lot of times out of materials and out of systems that already existed. We would look a lot of times to other industries and, and we were kind of in an odd industry. It was just a unique section of what they call the clinical laboratory called pathology and histology and cytology. Basically, that part of the lab dealt with a lot of different things. It wasn't just like counting cells in your blood. It was very, very hands-on. It was really the only part of the clinical laboratory you could not automate. So there was a lot of pieces and parts that you had to deal with in that lab, and we were always coming up with solutions for that. But in order to do that, a lot of times we had to kind of reinvent how we did things. And Sometimes we would borrow from things out of the cosmetic industry, things out of the ag agricultural industry, and borrow what they were doing that was commonplace for them and be able to apply it to what we were doing in our own specific way where it would work. And it's kind of my own de definition of, of uh, what they call technology transfer is where we, we were taking something that was just commonplace in one industry. And, and I've seen this with some inventors before where they'll find something that is very commonplace in one industry but completely unheard of in another industry. And a lot of times that's where an innovation can be found. That's, it has to be modified. It has to be qualified for that other industry. But again, that's where the innovation comes in. That's amazing. Now, by having your own facility, it sounds like you're able to, first of all, you're getting great feedback from your customers. And that's an important side note. Always listen to your customers. You've mentioned yes. that a couple of times in our discussion <laughs> here today. You let them kind of guide you on what their needs were. But now it sounds like, what you would do is you would take that knowledge from the customer back to your own facility and start this almost essentially bootstrap testing of solutions mm -hmm. to solve the problems that you're hearing from the field. 
Absolutely. I had the unique opportunity of getting to live on both sides of the fence in my business. I stayed very close to R&D and I stayed very, very close to marketing and sales. So I would see those customers and and I would find out where those pain points were. And I always used to say your best R&D came from out there in the field because you were finding what these customers needed, especially a lot of the larger companies. And this is where smaller companies can be nimble and be very, very innovative and really kind of stay one step ahead of the competition, no matter how big they are. You basically put three things into a a product or a business. You put time, you put money, but you put this third thing called wisdom. And if you don't have the wisdom first, you'll likely take the other two and you'll put them in the wrong places. And, And usually you learn those from your own mistakes or you learn them from other people who have made those mistakes. That's why hanging around other good, successful inventors and entrepreneurs is very, very important. We would find this input from the field and we would take it back and then we would try to apply that saying, okay, well, how can we how can we solve in this unique way? What particular problem is this customer having that is just really causing them a great deal of frustration? And what set us apart from a lot of the larger companies is larger companies were very, very siloed. And those companies would have your R&D people that were just kind of over in their little city. And you had the marketing and sales people who were over in another little city. Well, we were small enough and we were close enough. We kept those two pieces of our company close enough together to where one would constantly be in contact with the other. We'd always come out with a product that was better. Sometimes people would even try to copy our product. We had companies that were a lot larger than us would actually try to copy us. I remember walking into a trade show one time and they had they looked like they had everything where they had tried to copy us right down to the literature. It looked like they'd taken the pictures and words and just kind of moved them around on the page a little bit. And, you know, part of me just kind of wanted to laugh to myself about it. But, you know, another part of me was like, I'm mad at them. Here you are copying my my product. But here's the funny thing in the end. We had one particular product, it's very innovative, and we had a lot of people that would try to copy us. And it was a very large companies, big multinational, multi-billion dollar companies. And they would come out with a product and we would always stay one step ahead of them. We would always know, okay, this is really what the customer want. And they're just kind of imagining what they think maybe the customer wants. I'm thinking of one in particular, and they, they found out that they launched the, the copycat product and they found it, it didn't work. And then they tried to make some changes. The changes just made it worse because again, they weren't, well, they were not in touch with their customer. Just getting that input and integrating it into your R&D, I think is so important. Sounds so exciting because what you didn't just have a manufacturing operation, you also are building an R&D lab within that, that of course yeah. connected with sales and marketing and all the rest to keep everything very tight knit. I want to talk to the inventors listening onto the show. Just imagine your invention, imagine your gadget or whatever. If you are manufacturing that, that's a major advantage in-house. Obviously, you've got your quality control that you can keep a tight eye on. You've got the speed to market. You could have all these different benefits to your actual production house. But in addition, you've got that loop of R&D, and that is really something that can create tremendous scale. Most inventors have more than one idea. So Mm -hmm. you start with your first and just imagine you had your own kind of, let's call it R&D playground to continue to tweak and refine, not just that invention, but all of the different ideas that you have. And even more important, all the great ideas that your prospective customers and your buyers are going to have that will feed back into new versions of the product, complementary products to that, maybe just different lines that are related all together. That can all happen in-house if you've set up your own mini manufacturing operation in the beginning and obviously scale it as the whole system grows. 
Absolutely. And it's being in touch with that customer, but being so close knit to the R&D that I think makes all the difference with that. Very powerful stuff. And then in the end, you ended up selling. Tell us about that. Kind of a fluke. We were actually calling another company that we knew about a supply of something that we didn't have that, that they had. I was having trouble getting a hold of this company. And it was like after hours. And I finally get hold of the guy. And he was the owner of the company. I knew him. He said, Yeah, yeah. He says, I'm just kind of cleaning stuff up here because I'm, you know, he says, You've heard, haven't you? We just got bought by a company. I said, Oh, really? I said, Is this other company kind of on a buying spree? And he said, Oh, yeah. He said, They bought like two or three other companies. That's how the introduction got started with us selling to exit. It was a good time for me. I, I really had found a passion for working with other inventors and entrepreneurs. So I was kind of done with pathology, been 23 year run, and I was ready to do something new. It worked out really, really well for us. Well, let's talk about what you did because it's amazing. You've been part of that Inventors Association in Kentucky since the early 2000s. You've been the president, I believe, since 2004. And then in 2014, you sold the manufacturing operation and you basically put your heart and soul into this organization. Tell us about the organization, what you're up to, uh, what you're doing today. Give the highlights. Sure. When I sold the company, I had one of those what's next for me moments. And I remember sitting in the audience of a presentation about business, and, you know, because I'm, I'm always trying to educate myself. I'm always you know, trying to learn new things, new people. And in this illustration that they were doing on stage, he had two simple lines on a page. And he said, this one line represents your passion. He said, you could have a really, really great passion for a lot of things, but not be very good at it. He said, you just think of the, the first people that show up on American Idol. They think they can sing, but they really can't. He said, and this other line represents your expertise, what you're really, really good at. And he said, there's a lot of times, a lot of people that are really, really good at something, but they don't like what they're doing. And it's those people that get up every morning and hate their job. He says, if you can find the intersection of those two lines, you'll find your sweet spot. You'll find where you're supposed to be. And I sat there in my chair and I wondered, I thought, where is that for me? And it immediately came to me. It was this passion that I had for working with other inventors, other entrepreneurs, and, uh, and helping them do what I did with my company and when I started mine. That's amazing. I like the second element of that in particular, because you hear it a lot growing up, follow your passion, do what you love. But that second part is arguably just as important. Also do something that you have the relevant skill in. And I think for inventors, that might be relatively easy because clearly you have a skill of coming up with an invention idea. You've identified something. Most of the inventors I meet eventually invent more than one thing. So the Absolutely. interesting thing is you clearly have some skill in and around identifying either solving a pain point in the world or finding an opportunity in the world. And if you can get good at that and listen and become an expert, uh, hopefully by listening to this podcast. And of course, there's many other re great resources that are out there, but you can also become very passionate about it at the same time. So you match passion and skill, and that really creates the best output. And we've heard this a zillion times now in many different verticals. It really seems to be kind of a golden secret sauce that doesn't necessarily come up immediately, but it's something that if you kind of relentlessly pursue this, it can happen. So talk about the Inventors Association and what you're doing to help inventors. Sure. We do three meetings a month and they're they're all online. You can join us from anywhere. Our website's kyinventors.org. And basically we do a, a meeting that it will feature a inventor, successful inventor, successful entrepreneur, or someone who is very, very skilled in one of the steps of the process. A lot of people think, oh, all I've got to do is just rush out and get a patent and I'll be an instant millionaire. Well, that's not the way it works. There's a lot of 
pieces and a lot of steps to taking an idea and turning it into a real product or a real business. And, and we have experts that will talk about each one of those things. Maybe it is the product design. Maybe it is an attorney about protecting your idea, protecting what's valuable about your idea. Maybe it is marketing, all these different experts. So we'll have a meeting about that. We'll have a meeting that's kind of a little more hands-on, a little more how to do something. And then we do a, a third thing that's, that's kind of unique. It's very, very different than the other two meetings. We call it our Inventor Entrepreneur Workshop. And in the Inventor Entrepreneur Workshop, it's members only. We all work under a closed non-disclosure agreement. And we basically go around the room and introduce everybody. And then we go around the room again and everybody gets a chance to talk about this is what I have. This is where I'm at. This is where I'm stuck. And instead of getting one person's idea or opinion, you get an entire room full of people. And it kind of turns into a brainstorming session on steroids. The energy in the room is amazingly high. You usually always walk out with a lot more than you put in. Well, you've got a passion for an invention. And if you feel like you need a little upper on the skill side of it, what an incredible opportunity to learn from Don and many others in the community. Just as a heads up for the listeners out there as well, I'll actually be doing one of the expert panel uh, speaking events coming up on November 11th, which will be a virtual event. So you can tune in from anywhere if you become a member of the organization. So hope to see some of the listeners of the Product Startup Podcast over there in the Inventors Club. Don, much appreciated for having you on the show, for all your words of wisdom, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much. We're looking forward to having you. Thanks. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast, the show that teaches you what it really takes to bring your product to market and turn it into a big success. This podcast series is brought to you by Maco Design and Invent, the original and leading firm in North America to provide global caliber end-to-end physical consumer product development to startups, inventors, and small product business clients. If you're looking for product development help on your invention, head over to macodesign.com. That's M-A-K-O design.com for a free consultation from one of Maco Design's four design studios from coast to coast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.